Hi, my name is Mark Willeman, the host of Supervisory Basics, a 12-episode podcast series that examines how individual contributors can transition to effective leaders. This podcast series is based on the popular Supervisory Basics training program from Impact Achievement Group, a training and performance management consulting company. The Supervisory Basics training program consists of 12 individual yet linked two-hour training modules delivered in leader-led or e-learning formats. For more information, go to impactachievement.com, where you can also download lots of great articles on all the topics we discuss in this podcast series. This is Episode 3, and the topic is When an Independent Contributor Becomes a Manager, the Four Principles of Successful Management. To discuss today's topic, it is my pleasure to welcome back Rick Tate, Senior Managing Partner at Impact Achievement Group and an internationally recognized expert on management, leadership development, and customer loyalty. Welcome back, Rick. Always a pleasure, Mark. Nice to be here. Hey, Rick, you've said that the quality of the relationship between an employee and their direct report is the most significant influence on employee discretionary effort and loyalty to the organization. Before we get into introducing first-time managers to the four principles of effective management, I'd like to hear your thoughts on what role the Human Resources Department plays in the relationship between managers and their direct reports and the supervisory process. Well, Mark, I think the, the, the role relationship is interesting, and that is I've always noticed that when, when Human Resources takes the responsibility for performance management or the supervision or the development or the relationship in general, uh, there's always a downside to it. It's like in the old quality years, whenever you had quality control inspectors having responsibility for a quality output, quality usually went down because the people actually doing it uh, kind of advocated that responsibility. Uh, the requirements and the responsibility for the relationship falls with the manager or supervisor with their direct reports and that accountability should go up through the organization in that way. You know, that said, um, HR does play a significant role. Um, they need to ensure that there's compliance issues which keep the supervisors and managers out of difficulties You know, when it comes to labor requirements and labor law and things like that, and as well as an effective mediation role when that's appropriate. I think HR also is, is, is in the role to provide the organization with a sound performance appraisal process that you know ensures differentiation of top performers, provides appropriate documentation for personnel decisions you know, that have to be made routinely, and also that that performance appraisal system would focus on the business results. You know, and then in the training area, you know, providing access to supervisors and managers to the type of leadership management training that supports both their professional development, uh, everyone in the management team, and supports the values of the organization. But as far as the actual relationship, you know, my partner Julie White and I uh, kind of uh, frame it in the title of a book we wrote recently, and that was uh, People Leave Managers, Not Organizations. So uh, the manager sets the tone, the supervisor sets the tone, they pervade the whole experience that the direct report has. Uh, I don't think that role can be abdicated to HR. I don't see many people leaving their organizations because they say HR is bad. They tend to have a bad experience with their boss, and that tends to make them look around. And when that happens to talented people, the organization truly suffers. Rick, you talk about how there are four basic performance management principles that dramatically increase the effectiveness 
and success of any supervisor or manager. Can you discuss these principles and why they are so important to creating great managers? Sure, Mark. Several years ago, we were kind of interested in are there some similarities between those type of companies like a Disney, American Honda, Nordstrom, Nucor, etc., that have kind of branded the way they manage people and have had great results with it. Are there any similarities that you know might be able to be copied? And you know, we spent the, the better part of five years trying to figure that out and, and came up with no answers. And I think it's because the techniques and the practices differ from organization to organization, depending upon their culture, their industry, demographics, and the like. So we took a different approach to it. And uh, where we saw the similarities wasn't in specific practices or techniques that managers or supervisors did, but there were certainly some commonalities in what we call general general principles. And we've kind of you know, narrowed it down to four principles that every manager and every supervisor is going to have to come to grips with and deal with routinely in their job. And when they get that right, when the organization uh, supports their managers in executing on these principles, there is some consistency. What are those principles? Basically, the first one is just what we call principle one is aligned behavior. And that's just the process of ensuring that a supervisor or manager reduces the gap between their words and their actions. Uh, we definitely know that there's probably no greater cause of cynicism and frustration in direct reports than to see managerial leadership behavior that is in contrary to what maybe the values of the organization are or what is espoused. So it's really the difference between uh, uh, the values that are espoused and the values in action. And when there's a gap, we have performance problems. The second one is time and influence. That basically means this, and that's there's two resources available to any supervisor or manager when they manage the performance of other people. And that's the time they spend with people and the influence potential they have over them. So knowing who should get the significant portion of a supervisor or manager's time is critical to get a good return on the investment of those two resources. The third principle we just labeled motivational assumptions. Uh, the whole question of how to effectively motivate people is one that's been around and actually poorly answered for several years. When supervisors and managers of an organization are on the same page on this issue and focused in uh, creating an environment that gets the best efforts out of people, the results are significantly improved. The last one is uh, a consistent accountability. This is the bedrock of effective supervision. Uh, without a routine cadence of accountability, performance suffers and also the potential for interpersonal conflict between direct reports and bosses is increased dramatically. So that's, that's the four in a nutshell and uh, every supervisor and manager is going to have to deal with those on an on a ongoing daily basis. That's interesting. Rick, is there any particular area that new managers consistently get hung up on and need to prepare for? Well, of those four principles, we truly haven't seen any one particular one that overshadows the others. As I said, supervisors and managers routinely face these issues, and they can't be avoided. The only question is how effectively they'll deal with these four principles. I mean, if you think about it, the challenge is ongoing. We've always heard the cliche, to walk what you talk, to lead by example. Ironically, you know, when people say you have to lead by example, they frame it as a question, and that's, that's inaccurate. For every supervisor and manager, the question isn't whether you will lead by example. The only question is what example will you set when you do lead? 
So this one is, is always uh, on the uh, radar screen of any manager who wants to be seen with character and integrity. And then you extend it on to time and influence, you know, the daily decisions, you know, that you have to make. Who am I going to spend my time with today? And how am I going to make sure that that time turns into a significant return on the investment of that time that I spend in terms of performance? The motivational issue, I'm always trying to think of in a supervisory role, how do I create an environment that brings out the best efforts of the people that report to me? And, and, and what's my role in that? And then accountability, that can never be avoided because any type of uh, avoidance of the accountability issue, not having difficult discussions, just alters the expectations of people and the inconsistency in performance and the conflict that that breeds is significant. So we think they're all equally important and they're all very interdependent elements. You know, they, they don't happen by themselves. And uh, this certainly leads to effective leadership and management practices when uh, managers and supervisors get these right. As far as who managers should spend their time on, why should managers focus on the middle percent of performing employees rather than the bottom percent? It seems like ignoring the low performers would be a bad idea. We think so too. Ignoring low performers is a bad idea. But if you think about it, this is about the investment of those two resources, the time I spend and the influence I get. And over the years, there's been, there's been several studies on this from different points of view. But if you think about it, Mark, during, during my time managing people, about 10% or so, and this is a you know, ballpark figure, but about 10% are going to be just high performers. And you know, they're going to be high performers for me or for you or anybody else that comes in to manage them. That's just in their DNA. And, they're, and, and they won't be reactive to my management practices. They'll continue to give me great performance. If they don't like the way I treat them, they'll look for somebody else to give great performance to. But it's not going to lower their impact. And then you look at the other side of the spectrum, and that is there's a darn good chance that 10% over time are going to be people who just want to trade time for money. They're not going to be high performers. They're not going to want to give their best efforts. And in many ways, they can even spread poison in the organization. Now, with them, they're going to not perform well for me. And if somebody else comes in, you know, they're not going to perform well for them either. So the idea is, is that spending a lot of time with them, hoping to turn them around, is probably not a good, uh, a good investment to make. Those 80% in the middle ongoing, they're the ones that are reactive. And that is they'll respond with high performance to effective leadership and management practices and they'll respond to poor leadership and management practices with a lesser level of performance. Now it comes down to this, Mark, when we ask the question over the years, every time we do a session, you take those three categories, we ask managers all the time, who do you wind up spending your most time with? And the overwhelming response is, they spend their most time with the people at the bottom of that uh, of that group, the lower ten percent, and then we you know phrase it with the Doctor Phil answer of how's that working for you, and everybody agrees that it very rarely works out too well. <laughs> and then and then you ask them, okay, who's the second group? And the second group that gets the time is the people at the top because they're fun. They they're God, they're just enjoyable to hang around with. And then we say, does it change their performance? Absolutely not. And every minute we're we're taking away from that eighty percent reduces our influence potential. So we don't say ignore that bottom group. We say, listen, you got people who aren't carrying their weight and performing acceptably. Put them on a performance proven plan, closely supervise a little bit to see where they're going. 
But basically, if, if they can't cut it and contribute to the organization, the best thing you can do for the rest of your good performers is, is and I hate to say this, but show them the door. So don't ignore them, but don't wind up getting caught spending all your time in there because you're taking it away from that group in the middle who could certainly benefit from your time and, and, and your experience. I think that's great advice, Rick. Thanks. Uh, i got one more question for you. Yes, sir. Does good morale lead to better performance or does a job well done lead to better performance? Well, this is, uh, this is a fun one for me, Mark. Let me just go back and say, you know, years ago, uh, uh, working with uh, with Ken Blanchard, uh, author of The One Minute Manager, and being involved around the time that he was developing that project, uh, you know, what's been what's been the mantra of almost all of the motivational books and, and things that HR people do and all that? It, it's it's basically in the concept of happy people are productive people, and when morale's low, we tell managers to raise morale, and uh, and they try to raise morale. And do all these things to motivate people and, and you know this has been going on for 40 or 50 years in management and we haven't seen really any great results from it so let me frame it this way if happy people are productive people then that suggests that the road to productivity is through happiness so my job then as a supervisor winds up trying to make them happy in return for uh, their performance so let me just give you an example here when I first got into this business managing people um, my life lesson. I, I was sent into a place to turn it around and uh, I was told it has low morale and low productivity and I was told by my boss that you better get morale up. So I did what any good manager would do. We had a brainstorming session with my management team and one of my junior managers said, how about a beer bust in a softball game? And uh, <laughs> I thought that was a great idea because, you know, I went to college and played ball and uh, loved beer. So my morale went up right away just hearing the suggestion. We had it. We had it. Now, I should have learned because, you know, we had to order people to attend, which should have been my first clue that there was a problem. Uh, we had this event, and, and it, it didn't work out too good. And the only lesson I carried away from it, Mark, was there's only one thing worse than employees with low morale who are sober. <laughs> and, and we put a bat in their hand. So it just didn't work out very well, and, and I, I struggled through that uh, tenure with that group. And I found out that really, I, you know, that it was that wasn't motivation, Mark. That was a bribe. I said, "I'll do this for you if you'll do something for me," and it never got to the bottom of of what was causing the the problem at all. And and I carried away from that something that both Julie and I have put into our practice for years, and that is, happy people aren't productive people, and the road to productivity isn't through morale. Productive people are happy people, and that morale and feeling good about the job is a byproduct of success and doing it well and talent and growth and all those things that come with achievement. So our approach basically is managers need to set up an environment that allows people to grow, develop, make a meaningful contribution, uh, let, the, let their talents and their potential come to bear on the workplace so that there's a success and a win. And when that happens, it's amazing. Uh, in my mind, how morale goes up. I think the other way around doesn't work, and we wind up with Employee of the Month programs and plaques and Pizza Fridays that go on and on, and we see no significant increase, and people just kind of shine it on. So that's our approach to it, that we, we truly believe productive people are happy people, 
and let's start to work on uh, making sure that people grow and develop and contribute to the organization and manage from that perspective. And I think both the results will be higher and the relationships they have with their manager are going to be more improved and we'll see a lot more discretionary effort and loyalty towards the company. Rick, that's very useful advice for new managers and I want to thank you for sharing your insights today. Great to be here again, Mark. Look forward to the next time we talk. For more information on this topic, Impact Achievement Group, or the Supervisory Basics Series, please visit impactachievement.com. And remember, all of these podcast episodes are available for download on iTunes. Just go to iTunes, search for Supervisory Basics, and subscribe to the free series. Join us next month for episode number four, where we'll discuss how developing a good relationship with your boss and using your boss effectively can eliminate many obstacles in your growth as a supervisor or manager. See you then.